Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Well, it's such an honor to be with you here this morning, just celebrating a really a, just such a momentous week into a new decade, into a new year, and Garrison and Tracy getting married. Woo! So excited to be here, honored to stand before you today and to just share, and um, also excited to see the ever-multiplying wild children. Um, they're not here today, so there might be more when we go over there later on this afternoon, but also excited to see those babies and just so happy for Kristen Kelly and um, fun to have Rochelle here and fun to be here with my favorite Simply Grove and we don't go by our names anymore just whatever businesses we run. Um, <laughs> I was just at Ocean's Church just two weeks ago and I, I just can't tell you having myself church planted uh, 16 years ago now to see Mark and Rochelle flourishing to see this beautiful, vibrant church that God is building in Orange County is just beyond words. I was just impressed every which way I looked what God is doing in and through them. So I know it's not a hard sell for you to go to Orange County and visit them. Who wouldn't go to Orange County? So make sure you get out there to go visit Ocean's Church. Just an absolutely incredible work that they're doing over there. So proud of them. All right. Are you ready for the word of God this morning? All right, why don't you open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation this morning. Just to give a little more insight into some of these passages. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. That is going to be coming up on the screens here in just a few moments. I, I am really impressed with how lively and expressive you are when it is so cold outside. It's snowing, my goodness. All right. John chapter 1, 16 and 17. And now, out of his fullness, we are fulfilled. And from him, we receive grace heaped upon more grace. Moses gave us the law, but Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. Don't you like that phrase? Truth wrapped in tender mercy. Now we're going to jump on over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 13, we are not like Moses who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. Their minds were closed and hardened for even to this day that same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. Can we say amen? amen? We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. Now verse 18, and with no veil... 
we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is spirit. Can we say amen? Amen. Becca House, if you would do me a favor and put that last verse 18 just right up there on that screen in the back, I'd really appreciate it. Well, I love Christmas and I love uh, the traditions of Christmas. And uh, many of you are probably packing up your Christmas decorations. I, I try to keep it out as long as I can until it gets embarrassing. And maybe somebody's coming over for dinner, so I, you know, have to clean it up. Once I kept Mickey and Minnie lit up, uh, Christmas Mickey and Minnie lit up in my yard for a whole year. Felt like I'd won a prize or something, you know? Um, but I have a lot of fun traditions in our family, and one of the fun traditions that we have is always to see every year the Christmas holiday cups at Starbucks. Is anybody with me? Do you feel me in this, right? So I, just a couple of weeks ago when they came out, maybe it was a month now, Bella and I went over to Starbucks early one morning to grab a tea and some coffee, and she comes out with the new holiday cups. And so we're all excited and ooing and aahing and the green and the lettering and blah, 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 blah. And she goes, oh, I noticed they got rid of the red cups. And I was like, what's wrong with the red cups? She goes, mom, it was all over social media. Didn't you hear about it? The Christians said they were demonic. Have you ever gone like zero to 60, like 3.2 seconds? Like there's not a supercar in the world that could go faster than I got to like a level of annoyance that was just beyond words. Like I can't even tell you. So I'm in the car and I'm not dramatic or anything. Not that that runs in our family, of course. Um, but I am in the car with my daughter and I'm like, why are Christians so devil conscious, right? I'm exclaiming this to no one in particular except my beautiful 15-year-old daughter. And um, I said, Bella, I'm going to preach a message. Stupid Christians. <laughs> but then I took that to the Lord in prayer, and he said no. <laughs> Generally not a good idea, right, to preach a message mad. So my message here today is, can you see him? Can you see him? Now, I get that the Apostle Paul is not directly addressing the issue of Christians seeing, you know, Satan in the red cups, but he is discussing the mixture of Old Covenant, Old Testament thinking with New Covenant thinking, okay? So it's this idea like the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant, uh, uh, works versus faith, the law versus grace. He's talking about Moses versus Jesus. And he's co comparing and contrasting these two things and really talking about this issue and really talking about some of our, even our thought processes in our life. So what he's talking about, and we can't, we can't um, you know, all just come into church and assume everybody understands when we use terminology like Old Covenant, Moses, the law, or what exactly that means. Moses was a little baby boy. The Israelites, God's chosen people, were in bondage in Egypt. All of a sudden, the Pharaoh realizes that if these Israelites keep having all these kids, they're going to be able to overpower the regime. So he says, kill all of the male children. 
And so Moses' mother puts Moses in a basket and sends Moses down the river with his sister watching over. This little baby goes down in front of the palace. One of the princesses picks him up, and he, Moses is actually raised in the palace as Egyptian royalty. He grows up. He realizes who he is. He goes out, and he sees some slaves, some Hebrew men being mistreated. So then he kills the Egyptian that is mistreating this slave. Now he's wanted, so he has to run for his life out into the wilderness. This is where he intersects with God and begins to hear God's voice. It's in a burning bush, and he hears God speaking to him and said, you're going to go back, and you are going to be uh, the person that takes all of these people out of slavery. You're going to lead them. So Moses goes back. That's where we get the plagues. Pharaoh says, go. Then Pharaoh changes his mind, and that's where we get the water splitting into two. They cross over, and then they go into the desert. While they're in the desert, while they've been set free from the slavery and they're wandering out in the desert, God begins to speak to Moses. That's where we get the Ten Commandments. Moses would go up on the mountain, converse with God. Then he would come back down with the word of the God, with the word of the God, with the word of God to the people. One of these times that Moses goes up onto the mountain to converse with God, he says, God, I want to see you. God says, no, you, you, can't, you can't see me. He goes, no, God, I, I really want to see you. And he said, okay, well, no one can see my face and live. So I'm going to put you into this rock, in, uh, into this cleft of the mountain, and I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to walk by, and then you can see my back. So God does this, puts him in the cave, puts his hand over, walks by. Moses beholds the back of God. Well, what happens is when he goes back down to the people, he's now interacted with the presence of God. He's now interacted with what we would call in Christian world the anointing or the tangible expression of who God is on the earth. So now his, the Bible said his face was glowing. And this wasn't like, oh my gosh, what is Moses doing? His face looks so good. Did he just get Botox? I mean, this is not what we're talking about here. What face cream is Moses using? My God, his skin looks great. No, this is, this is so far beyond like physical attraction. It was glowing so much that it stopped people in their tracks. They, they, it was like, it was so attractive and so beautiful and so compelling that people weren't doing their work because they would just stop and stare. They couldn't take their eyes off of it. So they're like, Moses, you got to put a veil over your face because nobody's going to be able to get any work done until the glory began to dissipate. Now sets into motion hundreds of years of the law of the old covenant, this thing that we refer to. Now, the old covenant was a very interesting time. Let's just bless the Lord that we don't live there because I have a dog and I do not want to sacrifice him for any of you, okay? So they had to like sacrifice animals. They had rituals. If you said the wrong thing, then you died. If you mixed the wrong food, then you died. If you acted the wrong way, then you died. Pretty much just everything you died for, okay? Like wasn't a super happy, happy time. Fast forward, Jesus comes on the scene. The Bible says Jesus fulfilled the law. So he was the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. And when he went to that cross and he said these words, it is finished. We now see hundreds of years later the same concept of a veil and the presence of God on the earth. And it's called the temple. And inside the temple was the holy of holies. 
And a priest only once a year could go into this place and he had to be, you know, of a certain tribe and he had to have all of these cleansings done. And in fact, if <laughs> even when the priest went in after all these cleansing, he would have a rope tied around his ankle because if he had hidden sin and he went into the Holy of Holies, he, oh, you're catching on. Very good. And so we see this picture now, the same veil, the same presence of God here on earth. Jesus hung on the cross. He was now the final, the final sacrifice for all of our sins, for all of time and eternity. He hung on the cross. He said these words, it is finished. And when he said those words, the veil in the temple, it ripped from top to bottom, signifying to you and to me that Jesus is always the initiator. Come on. I, we don't run and find Jesus. Jesus finds us. He's not lost. He's been right there every single day, all the time. Come on. Compelling you and I to himself. So now there's no separation. You and I have full access to the presence of God. So we have the old covenant. The old covenant was about perfection. The new covenant is about redemption and accepting what Jesus has given to us. We have the old covenant, which was about do, 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 be good, to get good. The new covenant is about receiving the finished work of Jesus. The old covenant was constantly focused on sin. Do you have sin here? Do you have sin there? Do you have a bad thought, a bad idea? But now we are, should be more Jesus conscious and focused about Jesus. We've been given the best news. Like what a privilege today that you and I get to live in this time. That we get to experience this free gift of grace, come on, through faith given to us by Jesus. That's why it's called good news. Because it's beautiful. It's a gift given to us. Why then, my question, why then? If we look around to the reputation of followers of Jesus, of Christians in our world today, if we've been given the greatest news of all time, for all of time and eternity, why are we known for being so condemning, so prejudiced, self-righteous? Have we allowed something that has been finished to now creep into this gift of grace that we've been given. Paul addresses it. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who's, who's gotten to your head and made you think you've been born in the spirit? Now you're trying to adopt old covenant law ways of thinking and walking out this salvation? No, having been born into the spirit, come on, having now been given the gift of this new covenant, the gift that he has given us, you can't go back and try to work it out in yourself. A gift is a gift because it's a gift. If I go back and pay for the gift, it's no longer a gift. If I work for the gift, that's called a reward. That's not a gift. A gift is given on the merit of the one giving the gift, not the one receiving the gift. Right? But every Christmas, we lie to our children. We really screw them up, by the way. We lie. And we say, you better be good or you're not going to get any Christmas presents. Baloney. I'm calling your bluff. Don't tell them that. 
Because actually their behavior has nothing to do with the fact that they're giving a gift. They're getting a gift because I'm that good. Because I'm a good mom, I'm giving them gifts. It has nothing to do with the little hellion that they've been this year, right? He's that kind of a father. So why then are we allowing this thinking to creep into this beautiful gift of good news that we've been given? The apostle, the writer, is bringing a beautiful word picture to us and using the metaphor of a mirror. And oftentimes, this old covenant and the law, the metaphor of a mirror is also used. What does a mirror do? A mirror simply reflects what is put in front of it. Now, I would love if I took that mirror and I looked in the mirror and I said, oh, it's time for another Botox appointment. I'm just going to rub this mirror and all my wrinkles are going to go away. That's called a Disney movie. <laughs> That's not real life, right? The mirror in and of itself has no ability to change what it is reflecting. The law is like the longest illustrated sermon of all time. And I grew up in church, and I've been in some long church services. But this is years and years and years to show us that we cannot be good enough to deserve the finished work of Jesus. The law proves that we can't be perfect enough. We can't think right, do right, be right, behave in every single area of our life. We cannot do this in our own strength. That is what the law is showing us. So one mirror, it, it, it basically brings condemnation. It brings death. It just simply reflects our fallen state. And I just want to clarify things today because when I use the words like a sinner, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute or, or what that means, I'm not particularly pointing out anyone that is here in the room. We are all sinners and we have all fallen short. There's no degrees of badness. Jesus leveled the playing field. He set that straight right at the beginning. There's no levels of bad. There's just dead and alive. And we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And now we've been made alive in Jesus. So one mirror points out to us, points out that we can't do it in our own strength. And this mirror, this law has no ability to make us right. But now there's a new mirror. With no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are a mirror. We're meant to reflect Jesus to the world. But what are we meant to reflect? We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. I like this paraphrase of this scripture because it uses this word transfigured. Some of the other translations use the word transformed. 
Why is transfigured a stronger picture than the word transformed? Because transformed does not indicate something being taken from one state to another, whether better, whether worse, or whether just lateral. It just simply means one state to another state. But I love the meaning of the word transfigured because it means being transformed into a more beautiful and compelling state. Listen, I am not talking about the way we dress, the way we cut our hair. I'm not talking about, come on, the, 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 what we drive or what our house looks. I have, it has nothing to do with our outward appearance whatsoever. But the beauty of a life with Jesus is a life transformed into a more beautiful and compelling state. But what this means is it doesn't mean a perfect life. The church has been trying to sell the perfect life for years and nobody's buying it because a perfect life doesn't help anyone. I can't relate to you with the perfect house and the perfect marriage and the perfect kids dressed perfectly in the perfectly decorated house unless you're simply grown because our house really is decorated perfectly. I, nobody can relate to that. We know you were fighting on the way to church this morning and you get out of your car. Hallelujah. Bless God. Amen. Highly favored. Woo, new year. Hallelujah going in, you know. <laughs> and we try to put up this, this image that we are perfect people, but no one can relate to that because they're hurting and they're lost and they're away from Jesus and nothing else fulfills like Jesus fulfills. And they want to know, is there something greater than I that can come in and begin to transform me from the inside out? Not based on behavior, not based on just the way you look, not based on just what you look like or what you portray to the world, but a genuine transformation from the inside out. One day I was doing something that white people do. <sighs> My husband calls me nightlight white and um, it's true. So I get spray tanned, okay? My husband, so I have this really great spray tanner and so I was, took my husband along with me and he, uh, he always makes me clarify and give a disclaimer that he does not get a spray tan, his is natural. So um, I just always have to make that clear. It's a prerequisite with the story. So. Um, I was going to get a spray tan, and I love my spray tan lady. Her name is Tina, and the name of her uh, business is A Spray of Sunshine. And I would have to say that Tina herself is a spray of sunshine. She's just the sweetest, the kindest, like, just, I love going. I like going early. I like staying late. I, she has snacks. You know, who doesn't like snacks? Uh, we sit, we talk, Bella usually comes. So I took Benny. I just like, you have to meet this girl. I just love her. So... He comes, he meets her. We're just talking as we're walking out, like, how amazing is Tina? Like, she's just magnanimous personality. Love her. And so we're walking out, and um, I said, you know, Benny, I wonder if people feel this way after spending time with me. And we're getting into the car, and I say, I really hope they feel this way after coming to our church. 
You know, we always have to look at Jesus' interactions with people to greater understand the tone in which he loved people, right? Because you can take the same words with a different tone and imply a different meaning. But do you know that we never see sinners? Again, we, we understand what I'm saying here. I'm not condemning anyone here in this place. You never see sinners interacting with Jesus and apologizing for their sin. You don't see it. You never see them actually overly concerned about their sin at all because they're so overwhelmed and thankful to be with Jesus. In fact, the only people that ever get upset about sinners and tax collectors, apparently, they were really bad in Jesus' day, is the self-righteous people, the religious people, who are the only people bothered. I find it so interesting, lady that cuts my hair, that, you know, I'm coming to the close of my appointment, and she pre-apologizes to me. She'll say, oh, I'm so sorry about the next lady coming in. She has a really bad mouth. And I'm like, no, no, my virgin ears, I can't hear that. <laughs> like we've never heard those words, like you've never said those words. No, I'm just saying. How come maybe you had this happen at a Christmas party or a family gathering or, and a person invites you to their home and pre-apologizes, oh, so-and-so is coming, I'm so sorry. Their lifestyle, their addiction, their issue. They really don't like Christians, I'm so sorry. Because we're so frail. How can people feel the need to apologize to me for people who are away from Jesus doing what people who are away from Jesus do. In fact, some people who are even with Jesus still do. I'm not offended because sinners sin, but I am offended when Christians pretend they don't. I think Christians being offended by sinners sinning is like a doctor being offended when someone's sick. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten? Have we lost the authenticity of where we were before we met Jesus? Do we forget that we were sick with the very same sickness and now we have the cure? We have the medicine? We have what they need? Have we come so far? Have we allowed old covenant thinking to affect our new covenant mind so much that we now push away the someone comes back to the keyboards, my question for all of us here today, can you see him? Can you see him in Wendy? Can you see him in Wendy when the plane's late and everybody's mad and there's turbulence so they don't hand out any drinks on Southwest Airlines? Can you see him in Wendy when the barista's remade the drink three times and she still can't get it right. Can you see him in Wendy in my interactions or 
the target line that's too long or can you see him in Wendy when the food's late or can you see him in Wendy in the way I talk and in the way I walk can you see him in Wendy and my social media can you see him in Wendy and my Yelp reviews have we forgotten that the barista is more important than the drink does she know Jesus have we forgotten the target worker is in between heaven and hell and just maybe we were meant to be a mirror to show them the beauty of who Jesus is do we forget what this is really all about I get it we we enjoy an enormous amount of comfort and joy and prosperity in the United States not putting any of those things down but it's never been about my comfort enjoyment success influence it's always been about people in fact I am promised none of those things nor should require any of those things to serve him because he's already given me every single thing that I need it's about people and he loves them so much and his heart is breaking there's children can you imagine being a parent at Christmas and maybe some of you experienced this and I'm not I'm not trying to tap into your pain today and that child doesn't come home for Christmas and there is no relationship and what that must feel like to have presents under the tree for your child that you love but they're not coming home this is how he feels about our world he loves us so much and he didn't send us here to pretend we're perfect and he didn't send us here to try to be perfect he sent us here to be authentic and I say in my imperfection he is more perfected and in my weaknesses he is made strong and in my frailties and shortcomings his strength encourages me and graces me to continue on and I may falter and I may not have the right response all the time but I'm glad that I can run back to him can you see him and I pray for you this morning if you bow your heads Thank you.